This is Terrify Me, a podcast about scary things in fact, fiction, and folklore. I'm your host, Anthony Frost. So today I've got a bit of an interview with a gentleman by the name of Chris Spalton. He is a multidisciplinary creative currently living in Norfolk after growing up in the Fens, where he absorbed an interest in the weird and spooky from the land itself. He started his self-publishing journey with his true story graphic novel The Eel Man Chronicles, and his latest book, Apparitions of East Anglia, delves into folklore and weird history from this often neglected region. Shortlisted for the East Anglia Book of the Year 2021, he has strived with his project to continue the tradition of passing folktales down through the generations, but with a focus on making the content accessible and engaging for both the casual browser and folklore fan alike. And uh, aside from his books, Chris is also a music video creator, a cartoon artist, a UX designer and conference speaker, alongside being a huge underground music fan, with all of his interests combining to produce all sorts of creative outputs. Uh, just before we dive into the interview, a couple of minor updates. So what I'm finding so far with the podcast, obviously I'm, you know, I'm very new at this, what I'm finding so far is that uh, my original plan of alternating between interviews and then sort of storytelling episodes where I share a folktale or you know, something weird from history is um, proving to be difficult to sustain at the moment. So instead what I'm going to do is probably do like a few interviews in a row at a time, which will give me more time to research and script and more thorough storytelling episodes. Hopefully this will increase the overall quality of the podcast. And I'll still be able to get, you know, all the content that I wanted to put out there done. And I'll be able to do it to a higher quality. At the moment, I am researching the story of Springheeled Jack, which many of you will have heard of. It's very famous. It's a big old London thing from the Victorian era. And I'm probably going to be releasing that in a month or so. And it may or may not be multiple parts. We'll see. We'll see how, how much I can drag up about the fella. All right, with that said, here's the interview. Okay, hello, Chris Spalton. So you, uh, you wrote a book, Apparitions <laughs> of East Anglia. Yeah, um, how long ago did that yeah. come out now? Uh, it came out in June last year, I think. June last year, yeah. I think I read yeah. it in the autumn, uh, a few months after okay, it came cool. out. And I really, uh, really enjoyed it. Um, I'm I'm quite passionate about folklore myself, uh, although I've never really sort of put the work in to learn a lot about it. I just sort of like it when I come across it. You know, I'm trying to change yeah, that yeah. now. You know, especially with the with this whole podcast thing going on. But I'm curious. So, when did your interest in local folklore begin? Uh, I guess it um, um, comes from like growing up, right? I talk a bit about it in the introduction to the to the book it's just uh, we grew up in um the fens the deepest darkest fens a uh, place called parson drove <laughs> and um i think it's just it's just there there's always like weird stories that get passed down there was a hill well there's like a clump of trees between our the fence is all completely flat right with no like yeah no scenery and then there's this like a clump of trees halfway between our village and the next village and there were rumors that that's where like oliver cromwell had a ghostly cannon that he'd fired at the thing and stuff like that and i don't know how quite how you absorb them but um you just sort of do and my old uh my old childhood friend ben he had a big spooky house um we just lived i just lived on newlands road which is the council house street but ben had like this big spooky old house he had a big orchard and there was like stuff there which was like 
it was just like in the middle of his big garden, in the far reaches of his big garden, sorry, there was just like this weird footprint in the concrete and just things like that that just trigger ideas, I think. And it's just always been there. And then, um, like I said in the in the book, um, you know, there's a story in our village that Black Shook followed this woman home and she died within a year. And it was like Black Shook is like so kind of, I don't know what the right word is, evocative or whatever, like this big shaggy hound roaming around the fence. And I think that's just what just kind of like, set it in you know set it deep within my brain and then it was like an interest from there on and I think you know stuff like uh I don't know whatever uh, choose your own adventure books and all that sort of stuff it just like it's myths and stories isn't it and all that kind of stuff and I think that's where it comes from really so like a blend of weird localness and um sort of anything else that your young brain in the 80s is absorbing through what like yeah yeah <laughs> yeah, there's there's sort of a there's sort of like that kind of local storytelling. It's a very sort of pure kind of storytelling. It really does grab you. What made you decide to sort of commit to putting it all in a book? Uh, I don't. It kind of. I'm always. A, I mean, you mentioned it just now before we started. Like how you always have something going on, or you know, you're chucking yourself into something new. And I, I, I'm always doing something. Um, and I do a lot of drawing anyway. Like I, I kind of I haven't really progressed in my drawing skills since I was about 15 but it's got its own style now and stuff like that so um it was more of a case of uh like it, I like generating lots of ideas all the time and just doodling stuff and things like that and it like eventually it turns into a thing I guess so it was like once I had enough of these drawings I had like 10 or so it was like well actually if I have if I have I could do something with these 10 pictures. I could put them on postcards, but then if I do 20, I could do something else with it. And if I do 30, I could do something else. With it. And it sort of progressed from there. It, it evolved to be a real thing rather than me setting out to, to um, write a book. It was like, I've got enough of this themed stuff now. So what do I do with that? Oh, I can mm -hmm. do it. If I do a bit more and add a bit of focus to it and things like that, then it can become something. And that's how it became um, writing a book. Um, I had a previous book, Eelman, which um, you list on your thing. So I, I kind of already, what's the right word? Already sort of knew I could do a book. And mm -hmm. if you know what I mean, I'd kind of gone through it and learned how to put it one together through that process. So it was like, actually, now I've got these things, I can do something with it. So Eelman, I've, I've definitely heard of it. Um, would you, while we're here, oh, there it is. Yeah, oh, yeah. Yeah. Cool. <laughs> so this is... Uh, yeah, a bit of a diversion, but it's a comic book about um, my dad's the last eel catcher in the fens, and yeah. he's had a bit of a weird life and uh, uh, got into all sorts of mad adventures and stuff. And so I thought I've been telling those stories down the pubs to my mates for years and having a laugh out of it. And that came from maybe I could turn this into something. I've never written a comic book. I'm interested in comic books, so I'll have a crack at um, doing one of that and I'll turn dad's stories into that and that went down really well so it was like okay like you know let's see how else I could do it but drawing every panel of a comic it's hard lengthy work even with my simple style so it was like what yeah. like where I came from with the folklore stuff was like let me capture like a thing in an image and then yeah rather than write a comic again because it took quite a while to do that first time around so yeah I can imagine <laughs> and uh were, were both of the books self-published yeah and how was that process uh it with the eelman especially it didn't really seem like there'd be any other option to do it self-published i didn't uh, yeah. i didn't think about it too much and i'm very much a fan of um diy music and kind mm -hmm. of independent sort of punk rock stuff i guess if you want to call it that 
Um, and I'm inspired by a lot of that, of people that make their own stuff and put it out themselves and kind of, you've only got your own self to fall on, if you know what I mean. Like, I actually really like that. Um, and I think you learn a lot in the process. So it was like stuff like, oh, okay, if I do a page like this, oh, then I learned that it won't format like that because very few books are A4 books unless they're textbooks or whatever, you know? So it's like, okay, so I need to chop it around and do a bit of that stuff about even learning about like the types of paper and and things like that and then it was like okay what's the next stage it was like well if i want to do it properly i'd get some isbn numbers all right now i've got some isbn numbers you have to register a publishing firm or give it a name and things like that and it just i just like the process of working it out myself sort of thing so it suits me down to the ground and you're not reliant on anybody and, and things like that um with apparitions i did send it round to a few people i thought i'll have one punt at it and see how it goes um and i sent it to i don't know however many 10 or 12 different publishers and they some of them came back with some you know valid feedback like it's too niche it's too local or whatever for um a publisher to take on board and things like that but and it was just like it was more dipping my toe into the water but actually it was kind of like i like doing it myself so that's why I'm not going to make a living out of it, but sell a few and get a bit of pocket money sort of thing. And then that's all right by me. That, that I've sold sold 700 eel men and I'd like to see sell a thousand apparitions. I've sold about 800 of them at the minute. So if I sell a thousand, I think that's like, yeah, I think that's a, uh, a thing to be proud of or whatever. So yeah. yeah, no, that's definitely a big achievement. Yeah. Um, me and a few friends actually released a self-published collection of horror stories recently uh just nice. last month and yeah you do definitely learn a lot yeah i think so i think that's it's yeah um uh, it's, it's nice what you put it all together did you, did you do the art and the, does it have a it might not have well art we, we got we hired a cover artist yeah but, cool. uh, aside from that uh everything was done ourselves you know the the writing editing formatting you know what one of the four of us in particular had the necessary software to format an ebook and knew yeah, okay, what cool. he was doing with it so um yeah uh, I think the thing we found most difficult, if anything, actually, was the marketing side of things. Yeah, that is, uh, it's it's kind of weird because you do it because you're creative, don't you? And then it's like yeah. with, uh, it, it, there's a very much a tipping point where you're like, hang on a minute, I'm just selling stuff and not um, not making stuff anymore. Yeah. Right? Uh, and it, I found that hard towards the end of the last year because it's like, I don't know, I'm not a salesperson, right? And it's like, I don't know. I've, I've asked people nicely to buy my book. I've said like, here's a cool book and things like that. And mm, it's like, you, yeah. I reach a point where because I'm not a salesman, I've run out of things like that to say, if you know what I mean? Yeah, no, um, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. And you're conscious of like hassling people and stuff like that is, is strange. Oh, yeah. Place to be. yeah. Yeah, it is. It is. Especially because like, you know, we're, we're in this because we want to tell spooky stories and um, I think trying to sell stuff to my mind, it's almost the opposite of, like storytelling yeah, yeah, yeah. it's just <laughs> i don't know it just feels like a completely alienating thing i was looking up with eel man i did a lot of good market and like that kind of thesis because it was like oh, i sort of added some not added some mythology but kind of big my dad up and turn him into a bit of a like a folk hero himself in many ways through promoting that and i did stickers and t-shirts and i like all that sort of stuff and prints and stuff and uh, that all helps. I think the more things you've got, maybe, you know, might attract people and, and draw them in and things like that. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So re regarding apparitions specifically, uh, I was wondering, do you have any favourite stories from the book? Any that particularly strike a chord with you? 
Um, well, Black Shook, obviously, because um, like it's Black Shook. I've got him tattooed on my arm. That's the cover. That's how I got the cover for that. Actually, oh, I, awesome. I paid my ta- paid my tattooist a bit when to stick it on the on the cover. So that's that was cool. So Black Shook's always going to be there. Um, yeah, same same for me. Uh, the first episode of this podcast is about Black Shook. Oh, amazing! Cool. Yeah, yeah. I know. I cited your book as a source in that as well. And- oh, nice. Cheers. Man. Um, it's uh, I like Black. Shook. I like I especially like the because Black Shook's got a couple of um origin stories, right? Like, like he's on the beach, but I like this fire and brimstone one, like bursting in and, and taking things out. Um, I like the ones kind of grounded in reality, for want of a better word, as well. I like I like the fact that the king lost his treasure in the fens, like like that kind of historical aspect of it. Um, and I like stuff like Herod the Wake, like rebel kind of stuff. I like I like that, but that's not really. I guess different to folk folk tales. That's historic stuff that happened. I like Tom Hickerthrift. I went to his grave the other day. Oh yeah, um, yeah. He's in Tilney All Saints near Kings Lynn. He's actually got his grave. It says Hickerthrift there. I kind of like that. I just like picturing the Fens back in whenever sixteen hundred or something. This must have been a strange, strange place, and I kind of like yeah, like those ones. But what I like about it all is. Um, but when you walk these places, and that's where kind of I guess the inspiration came. Is we go on a lot of walks, and because it was COVID, you could that was all you could do, right? Basically, go for a walk and um, just like soaking it up. It's connected to the land, I think, and uh, like however far out the folklore story is, uh, it has to have come from somewhere. Because if someone just made it up, completely made it up, then they would have just been eventually it would have just been forgotten. But it comes from. I'm convinced it comes from something that actually happened for that story to generate it might have been embellished obviously and things like that but there's something there and i guess that yeah and i guess that comes back to the connection with the local stories and like you said they're engaged because it's something that there that happened um, i'm convinced of it whether it was a dragon flying around london or or anything else something happened there was a big something happened for someone to say that no one to go no it isn't. yeah yeah i mean my my default for, for anything where i just can't trace what the origin would be my default assumption is always just going to be aliens because why not but yeah no i i fully agree with you on sort of like the nature of the fence so like you know I, I say i live in cambridge i actually live in a village between cambridge and ely and uh okay sort of like the fen edge area and uh i last year like all over COVID, i got quite into kind of going on long slow runs uh because i can't run fast so i thought i better run long <laughs> and there you know it's the first time i've really like first time since i was in my early teens, I've actually really spent a lot of time just outside of towns, just among, you know, East Anglian greenness and, you know, the, the wet bits and all that sort of stuff. And it, there is, there is magic there. Yeah, for sure. man. Yeah. Yeah. It's yeah. It's a, it's a special place. We went for a walk near North Walsham yesterday. I don't know if you know North Walsham. It's just North and Nor- in between Norwich and Cromer kind of. Often. Yeah. I know, I know of it. Yeah. Yeah. And like round there, it's just, I think I mentioned that in the, there's that, couple of pages i wrote in the book about the different sort of landscapes and around there is just like a weird it's like no man's land. so you've got beautiful north norfolk coast and then you've got norwich and south north it gets a bit hilly going down into suffolk and stuff um but then there's this patch in the middle of norfolk which is all like really spooky kind of brackeny heath stuff and it's just like weird it's such strange vibes we went for a walk a little while ago and um there was just a, a barrow like a you know neolithic barrow um, burial spot with just a tree next to it and the whole tree was just filled with crows it didn't have any leaves on it or anything it's just like this is it's getting dusk and it's getting spookier and like that weird 
that weird like dark grey light where it's neither day. It's like you feel I don't know, but I haven't got any better word for it, but vibes, which I don't really like using because it makes me sound like a hippie. But there's vibes, you know. Yeah, yeah, I know. I definitely know how you feel there. And it's that kind of yeah. Even though you're old, even though we're old, and you don't believe in go, you know, it, there's an element of uneasiness, and I like that. Like it's a it makes you it gives you a feeling to it, and it's like yeah. Yeah, yeah. Like you can see how people could see the Lantern Man or the Black Shuck. Exactly. Yeah. Especially you know, especially back then when they had no frame of reference for or little frame of reference. That's that's making them sound ignorant. I'm sure they weren't ignorant people, but it's like just you, things that you can't explain that that we now can. Yeah. So, so I was particularly attracted in the book to the mention of the Norfolk Nowheres, like all these abandoned settlements, because I didn't know they existed prior to reading your book. That was right, one of the things cool. in the book that was very new to me. I was wondering, um, have you visited many of these sort of abandoned settlements? Um, a few of them, yeah. And there's, there's, there's places, I mean, I included those three in the book. Um, the, the one near King's Lynn, isn't it? Uh, at Borsey um, and um, Godwick and things like that. And there's one actually just at the end of this village, which I haven't yet gone to check out. Um, so I do try, we spend a lot of time, I spend a lot of time looking for ruined churches anyway. Norfolk's got loads of ruined churches and usually where there's a church there's a settlement somewhere there, you know. And um, and again, it's that same kind of feeling of like, not uneasiness, but people worked and lived there, right? Lived their whole lives there for however many, you know, 100 years or however long. Um, and now it's gone, but you're walking in their direct footsteps and in their houses and things like that. I find that stuff fascinating. There's a There's a name for that sort of weird feeling which you get when you're in a place which should have people and things in it, which, oh, okay. which just feels nice. empty. So it's a canopsia, which oh, is right. like nice. that sort of weird, sort of slightly jilted out of sync feeling you get when like in abandoned places. Yeah. And like, you're literally walking where they walked and you've got no idea who they are and like, how it connects to it, but something was going on there. And I like the variety of reasons why it happened as well. Like, I mean, not Norfolk got hit by the plague badly, obviously everywhere but did, but stuff like that. But then even you just learn the one that Borsey near Kings Lynn, that guy was just like, oh no, I'm selling all of this for money and you're all being booted out and that's it. You're just gone, right? And off you have to trek across the fields and things. Yeah. It's strange. All the quirks of history. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. We live not far from an old Roman town. It used to be a, um, Venta Icenorium, it's called, um, over at Caister, a few miles away. And um, that's the same. It's just a big square thing that used to be a Roman town. They've got all their boards so you can picture it and you can still see the roads and things like that. And you just think, like, Ro- you know, Romans. Are... Oh, of course they were, but it's just like you know for sure they were, right? It's like they were definitely here. And it's, I just find it mad. In, uh, in my village, there's a, there's a dike that was dug by the Romans. Is that Devil's? Devil's Dyke that crossed the fence. Is it Devil's Dyke? It's called. Uh, that's not the one I'm referring to. Uh, the one I'm referring to is just called. It's called Car Dyke. Okay. Right. It's just sort of sitting there in a field, just up, sort of in kind of outside of the village. Okay. Um, yeah, it's just living amongst like traces of bygone peoples. It's just yeah, yeah. it is bizarre. And especially, I guess they were paths across the fens, right? The Romans had a couple of different paths across the fens, didn't they? There's um. There's a camp at Stony, an old Iron Age camp at Stony near March or Chatteris, so that can't be too far away from you. And then apparently that's the site of, um, I've never been, which I should do because my folks live in March, but um, uh, like a site of a massacre and stuff like that. It's just like, you know, things like that went on. It's it's crazy. 
trackways across the fens and you know it's like we've got to get across i don't think they ever really tamed it did they the fens it, you know they couldn't have done but um who knows it's just this strange marshy land that you've got it's it's very strange marshy land i think we're <laughs> we're, we're a strange marshy people yeah, so. <laughs> <laughs> i went home to my village a little while ago when was it a couple of uh, just before covid a couple of christmas it was sat in the pub that's tradition i go home for christmas eve and spend it with my mate ben who i mentioned earlier and uh yeah it's like yeah. going just chatting to the locals that live there now i moved out 1999 i think um so it's been a long time and then even villages now they're like oh this village isn't what it used to be this village isn't what it used to be and I'm like, well, how long have you lived here and it's like oh four years and it's like yeah it isn't like it used to be because people like you came here and is that that also thing as well they're getting you know are the stories fading away i don't know it's like they get i don't know if those people would know about cromwell's canon you know yeah i think um one of the reasons i like your book so much is because i'm I, th I think I'm probably a little younger than you. I was born in 91. And uh, okay, yeah. th there's a lot of these stories that I didn't grow up with. Right. Yeah, that's mad. Yeah. Yeah. So it's like I've been, especially over the last few years, I've been trying to acquire more of the sort of the local culture and the, the local folklore, because uh, I do think it's important to sort of maintain that sense of identity you know, yeah, of a place. Exactly. But I'm actually really curious about whether there's any stories that you sort of wish you'd found space for in the book. You couldn't quite fit in or... There's more, it was kind of the other way around. So uh, had I wanted to fit them in, I would have done, but more have come to light now as a result of writing the book. So people have written emails to me and stuff like, oh, have you thought about this story? And have you ever heard of that one? And I hadn't. And had I had I at the time, I would have included it, if you see what I mean. So sure. there's things like the Green Children, um, I can't remember, of Woolpit and things like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, um, I, I know that one. Um, yeah, and there's more um, Jack Valentine, who's a Norwich folklore thing. There's lots around him at the mix. He's obviously coming up to Valentine's Day and he comes and um, sees you and stuff. Uh, I would have liked to include a few more. Um, it was kind of, I was also kind of limited by my drawing ability. So there's lots of rocks and stones around here, big stones. There's one at a place called Ling, which is supposedly a druid stone where they did sacrifices and things like that. But because I'm primarily, I guess, uh, I hesitate to use either word, but I'm primarily an artist, even though not really over an author, if you see what I mean. So I was like, well, I can't really, I don't have the skills to draw background. So me drawing a rock would just look like a kind of shape on a page. And it was like, I can't quite make that as engaging enough. So in that case, I'll draw like a guy on a fiery horse or whatever, because that's more fun to draw than a than a thing and then but i wish i'd included some of those stories in it um i like i like stones being things from the past and um, oh yeah yeah having magical powers and stuff but it was just like how am i going to draw that so uh, i should have included that and then yeah like i said there's like you know various um there's more about norwich i would have liked to include but norwich could probably be a whole book by itself so Definitely. i might do something like that in the future because there's lots of ghosts and history here I included a couple just because they like the guy under the mound, King Gergen under the mound, just because that's, I thought I'd include that because it's like the castle is so prominent in the city that if you imagine that the guy, the king sat under there, that's pretty cool. Um, Very cool. There's a ghost story. And I included the plague house, which I really like, but there's another ghost down Magnet Street of a let of a girl that got thingy and the Maidhead Hotel has lots of history and ghost stories there. So yeah, yeah, I've stayed in the Maid's Head a couple of times. Oh, did you? Nice, yeah, yeah. Well, apparently there's a tunnel leading under there to the cathedral, and um, whenever they were smashing up uh, the 
the thing, um, a bunch of king soldiers chased a bunch of people into the tunnel and then they strung across like chains and it beheaded them all as they ran, uh, ran on their horses under the tunnels. And apparently you can hear their, their hoof prints under the maid's head. So that's pretty cool. That's a really cool story. <laughs> yeah. 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 <laughs> um, and that big uh, cathedral gate um, right near there, right opposite the, the maid's head that like the vicar got, the priest got... Um, murdered and strung up there and stuff like that. I, I do like the kind of darker side of stuff it has to, i think that probably comes out of the book it's like yeah oh yeah for sure yeah 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 and I'm, <laughs> you know I'm, I'm a horror author you know so yeah, yeah. i definitely like the, the dark stuff myself <laughs> see yourself ever doing uh another sort of work similar to apparitions okay you mentioned that norwich could be a book by itself yeah yeah i might, I might do um, some stuff like that. i've got a couple of ideas ticking out i would like to i uh, my curses as well, like I like doing different things. So therefore, sometimes I don't take a thing through to as good as it could be in order to try doing something else, if you know what I mean. Um, sure, sure. It would be great to be able to have a set of apparitions books, but I think you do have to kind of go and immerse yourself in the place. So, you know, like West Country or whatever, you've got King Arthur and all, all that kind of stuff, haven't you? That's oh, yeah, yeah. See, that would be awesome. No, yeah, that would. But you need to kind of immerse yourself in it to do the research, I think, and it has to percolate and things like that. And I don't have the money to go down there for a month in a hotel or whatever, you know? Yeah. Um, but keeping it sort of Norfolk style, I've got a couple of ideas. I'd like. A book on Norwich would be great. And I'd like to do some comic strips of certain stories from Norwich. So um, I was thinking the other day about, there's William of Norwich, who was a, quite a famous story in Norwich. He was a kid that got kidnapped and murdered out on Mousehold Heath in like a ritual murder in the 1500s, I think, possibly earlier than that, maybe 1300s. Um, and he, um, they blamed the Jewish community for it, and they had to take solace in the castle to protect themselves from the townspeople. And just like, and then they built a chapel for him, and then gradually he became a saint. Um, they kept upgrading where he was buried, and he's now buried under the high altar in the cathedral and things like that. And I, I, I don't know, I just kind of like that sort of stuff. You'd have people snatching um people away and 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 things like that um i'd also like to do something on the fen tigers the the guys who fought the draining of the fens i think that's really interesting so kind of a mixture of historical with a bit of kind of myth and i guess my storytelling technique chucked in a bit of dark humor and things like that or but i don't know really um i haven't like it's been like we were saying earlier you end up in the selling mode and it's like okay now it's like all right it, it's i'm gonna get one more reprint and, and do them but it's time to start thinking about some so i'm just at the minute in the stages of just drawing more things to see what comes out basically i've always got about four things listed down i mean the a folklore book was on my mind for whilst i said i didn't set out to write a book a folklore book has been on my mind since i was about 20 i should think so i'm now i mean you mentioned you were born 91 i'm 42 so yeah i'm quite old yeah or in my prime whatever yeah <laughs> <laughs> do you have any uh favorite folk tales or urban legends from outside east Anglia? i kind of like thing oh my, my favorite folk tale is the necropants ritual um i can't remember from iceland i don't know if you know that one which is where well they got i can't remember the proper name for it let me just quickly google that necropants um basically you have to nabrok that's what it's called um you have to um get someone's permission which seems weird so i don't know how you'd approach it and then um when they die you uh you skin their leg their bottom half yeah and then put on their trout their legs as trousers 
and then you get like a sigil that you've written on a bit of paper and a coin from like an old widow or something. Yeah. And you tuck yeah. them into the scrotum of these dead man's pants that have now fused yourself. And then you just walk around and it fills up with money and gold coins. And that's like an Icelandic legend. So um, that's one of my favourite. That is off the wall. That's a good one. <laughs> <laughs> And if you Google, if you Google it, it, there's like a fake pair that's in the Icelandic Witchland uh, Witchcraft Museum. Sorry, mm. um, so I like that. Um, I might actually get the signal for that tattooed on my leg. Actually, um, I've been thinking about that. So yeah, it's far out. Yeah, <laughs> yeah that's crazy. I've never heard anything like it. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> well, I, I, like imagine going into a shop and just like slamming your ball bag down and be like, I've got loads of money. Here it all is spilling out everywhere. It'd be yeah. horrifying for the shopkeeper. Christ. Um, <laughs> so yeah, I guess a lot of my interest <laughs> is that kind of like dark, dark, funny stuff. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I like learning about all that sort of stuff. I'm also, uh, I guess like there's the ones that become folktales. Like I like the fact that Dracula rocked up at Whitby Abbey or, you know, and all that sort of stuff. Like, I think that's cool. Mm. Um, in terms of other real ones and stuff like uh, kind of interested in like um bigfoot and loch ness and all that sort of cryptology yeah. like the goat sucker the chuck a cat uh shop a cabra and things like that i like that sort of stuff yeah um, yeah so there's not like any real like folk folk tale that i guess that um it's just a mixture of all this stuff i guess that's where it comes from it, it all like it, it doesn't it's just that kind of thing and the music i listen to is similar to that i listen to like lots of weird kind of droney pagany sounding stuff and things like that it's just like things that make you uneasy and are a bit odd it's, it's that whole whole general thing yeah I, my, my taste in music are similar I just anything weird yeah that's my favorite thing music is my favorite thing of all to consume after uh, by miles and uh, do you have any uh, favorite fictional scary stories, like explicitly fictional? Uh, the Thing, is, does that count? The Thing, uh, yeah, that definitely yeah, counts. That's my favorite movie of all time. Yeah, that's, that's, that's a top three movie for me as well, the original version, yeah, of course. Yeah, yeah, genius. Yeah. I love that film so much. Yeah, it's a, it's, it's a pretty much a perfect horror movie. Yeah, again, like again, it's that sense of unease, right? And like unfeeling, you don't know, they don't know who, you know, the scene on the couch and stuff like that, and just like, and then it all goes completely mental and it's like um yeah i think that like the, the mixture of the tension and the kind of i guess i don't know what the right word is payoff maybe um, um things like that like i absolutely love that film i don't read much fiction many fiction novels actually um i mostly i read comic books for fiction essentially and then i read books about stuff i guess um you know more documentary style books mm -hmm. um I'm really interested in how weird the Victorians were and stuff like Jack the Ripper and like the Elephant Man. And I used to work down in Whitechapel, so I used to go around and find the spots. And and the the biggest re revelation I had actually doing that was because uh, the Elephant Man got found. He was on a. I went to hit the shop where they first displayed him, and um, which is on Whitechapel Road. It's now a Turkish like um, gold exchange you know, like those kind of weird jewelers, like pawn shop jewelers or whatever. So they they displayed yeah. the elephant man in there and then his doctor came down from the hospital over the road and then was like, oh, he took him away from being displayed and then put him in an apartment in the hotel, in the hospital, sorry. Um, but there's a fairly good chance that the night Jack the Ripper killed the two women, he killed one lady in Mitre Square and then ran to um, back to Whitechapel because he got disturbed. There's a fairly high chance they were there at the same time, basically. 
Yeah. And I'm fairly sure the apartment blocks were would have been overlooking the road. Like uh, there was just this realization that maybe the elephant man could have looked out of his apartment window and seen Jack the Ripper running between murders sort of thing on that night and i just find that like absolutely like mind-blowing that that could have been the case yeah that is insane actually yeah yeah <laughs> so i don't i don't know how accurate i am in that like they were there in the same place and i reckon he could have seen had jack the ripper taken a certain route he could have seen him you know um and i just like you just think all these characters kind of just existed in the olden days but not that they would be around at the same time and i find that like uh, like when i kind of got back to my hotel room and I was like hang on a minute that like a bit of google it's like is that the case and it's like so that sort of stuff I think uh, I think it's yeah really interesting yeah definitely so yeah the uh, the Jack the Ripper the double event the two murders yeah. in the one night yeah that's um, I've read a couple of books on Jack the Ripper it is something which I find fascinating I almost feel like Jack the Ripper's on the edge between sort of history and folklore Yes. Like, like culturally speaking, if you know what I mean. Like, uh, you know, obviously we're never going to know who it was. I think that no. ship sailed. Yeah, we're never going to know. It's a, it's a particularly interesting, like it seems to act in culture like a folktale does. Like a, like a spooky boogeyman type story. Yeah. But, but in fact, it was a real... I really like him from hell. Have you read from, uh, have you read the, the, you know, how, how like Jack the Ripper's kind of ushering in the 20th century and stuff. I mean, I'm not really clever enough to work out the full nuances of an Alan Moore book, but it's like, like just that it heralded like the end of the thing and the start of something else that eventually has also become dark and weird. I haven't read the comic book. I watched the film adaptation, which is obviously not the same thing at all, but um, I do want to read the comic book because oh, I, 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 I want to read more comic books. It's a, uh, I tend to like the ones I read, but I tend not to read that many. So, like, okay, for whatever fair reason. enough. Yeah. yeah, that's definitely on the list. Yeah, yeah, and uh, stuff like um, like I mean, it is. It's just like so you know, meticulous research gone into it, and like it, yeah, they have yeah. done a color version now because I think sometimes the original one was always a bit off-putting for people because it's quite scratchy artwork and it looks hard and impenetrable, and it like you mm-hmm. can see that. But I think maybe the colored one would might make it elevate it up to be a um, kind of a little more open to being explored if you know what i mean sure yeah yeah but also that sort of stuff actually like hellboy i'm a big i was always a hellboy fan and all his stories pretty there's an overarching tale you know but all the mm-hmm. like the amount of like side adventures he has where mike mignola like co- puts together elements of different folk tales and you know you can look that stuff up it's just like oh who's this goblin that's who was a baby and then they put this iron on it i just love that just the connection to the um the, the, again the ground and stuff we went on holiday to Ireland and Ireland was familiar to me because I'd read Hellboy books that were set in Ireland and it looked exactly like it and that kind of also connection so it's based in based in history and reality but then via the lens of fiction until you end up there yourself and it's all kind of all connected to it I think yeah I, I like it I like it when uh, when works of fiction manage to pull that off when they sort of really feel situated and a time and place. I love it. And there's all sorts of, yeah, like, you know, Hellboy also has ventures in like the, I never say this word right, but the Appalachian Mountains, you know, and mm-hmm. things like that, like weird American dark history and like gothic kind of stuff as well. All that, all that sort of thing. Yeah, yeah. It's very, like the Appalachian, like Appalachia in the in the US, that's, a, that's an area that's got a hell of a lot of their own interesting culture and folklore and stuff. 
I would like to do a book on that actually, or some or something on that. You know, like even if it's a few, I do a thing called sketch noting, which is also just visual note taking, and uh, you can you know, with a bit of work you can turn a sketch note into a piece of art if you want to call it that. Um, and like even that's just a nice way of doing things as well, just capturing something on a on a page. I guess the nearest one I had in the book. So sorry, I'm jumping all over the place, but it's just this is what I'm like. That's all right. Um, <laughs> like the toad men that's probably the nearest i got to a sketch that's a mixture of a sketch note a comic strip and a page in a book right the, the ritual there yeah the toad men is something i've always found interesting actually it's one of the yeah one of the very, like very unique sort of little weird things in east anglia like i don't think there's anything similar anywhere else <laughs> no. uh, it's just and they seem like they seem like they were renowned at it as well just like you know like the toad men were like a, a society you know a, a group of people that were like heralded and respected for their powers and things like that but um it seems a lot of effort i don't like horses so i won't go to anywhere near that amount of effort to try and control a horse or just yeah 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 <laughs> yeah doing like strange pagan rituals in order to be able to speak to horses <laughs> yeah. is uh thing is though like would you actually be doing it to control horses or would you be doing it to say that you can control horses you know what i mean like this is yeah it's got to be an element of i think the renown is probably an element of mystique you know like that kind of secret society and thing you're right and you know maybe they got maybe they got paid more wages as you know if they could say i could do i'm a toad man maybe they could get it from there or what you know i'll i'll plow your fields or whatever but it will cost you three times that it costs I'll meet you down the road because I'm a toad man and I've got the bad skills or, so, or something like that. Yeah, maybe function as sort of like a cross between a professional guild and like a little Freemason type situation. Yeah, yeah. Like something like that. <laughs> a Fen Mason. Yeah, Fen Mason. That's quite, it, yeah. quite a good name for a band, that is actually. We're Fen yeah. Mason. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah secret definitely. It's like a Fen, yeah, Fen legends. Hmm. <laughs> but I think that's the sort of thing that can only, like you say, anything that could come out. You're not going to get a story of a toad man from Oxfordshire, are you? I don't think. Do no, you, no. It's different, you know? It's just yeah, yeah. different. More, more earthy and weird, I think. I mean, even the fact they're called toad men, right? Of all the, like, the toad men. Yeah. It's, <laughs> it's, uh, it's, it's like, it, to me, it is like the most Fenland thing that exists is the toad man. <laughs> like, it's just, often um, I'm a bit of a Lovecraft fan. I don't know. I feel like a lot of his stuff, like it kind of makes me think that he visited the fens once and hated it hated it yeah, yeah. Like if you like you know if you, one of his stories uh shadow over Innsmouth, is basically where he goes to this like town on a beach and all the people there are really weird and like fish-like and <laughs> uh, yeah that would yeah 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 yeah, yeah. yeah. it's like i was just reading that thinking uh this just sounds like what people from cambridge say about people in the fens Fens, yeah yeah like, it's just <laughs> strange folk yeah and all the yeah, he didn't he did the Dunwich horror as well, didn't he? Lovecraft. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And then yeah, yeah. And like uh, yeah, I know it's Dunwich is he's on about the different one, isn't he? In, in Massachusetts yeah. or whatever. But mm-hmm. um, like you know, like Dunwich is a spooky place, and I like the fact that it's 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 called that. Dunwich got all washed into the sea. It was a huge thriving port, and it had a couple of storms and disappeared, and graveyards are crumbling off. And it's just like again that that sort of circle that I was talking about earlier. It's like you know it's not necessary it's just the, the name sets it in a place whether or not you were talking about a different one it all kind of t- it just it just connects these dots between an electric wizard who are like a satanic if you want to call it like you know a heavy metal band like they've got a song called Dunwich and it's just like okay it's like these things swirling around 
Uh, and I think that gives you that heightened feeling that we were talking about earlier, just like spookiness and realness. Yeah. There is actually, um, talking about fish people, there was a good story from um, Orford. Do you know Orford on the Suffolk coast? It's got cool... Uh, uh, I, I don't castle. know. That's one of my favourite ones that I should have mentioned earlier. It's got a cool castle there that was actually used to film the end scene in Witchfinder General. When they oh, finally yeah. catch with Matthew Hopkins, they have a fight outside a cool, and then they go into it, and that's where he, he kills him. Um, mm. But they had a hairy fish. Like, a fish man came out of the sea there, and they caught him in a net, and the monks kept him in the castle, and then, like, you know, just, like, kind of experimented on him and things like that, and he couldn't speak, and he was just this wild man, the wild man of Orford. And then he eventually broke out and uh, swam off again, never to be seen again. And that happened just, that's only up the road from Dunwich. So Interesting. Yeah, so it's like a vague Lovecraftian air to that whole little yeah, region yeah. of coast. Yeah, very interesting. I have to, I have to read up on that one. Yeah, well, man of Orford, Orford Castle, all around those. Yeah, that part of the that part of the region is really cool. I think I, I included Cove Hive Church in there as well, which is just supposedly haunted by them. But the, those ruins are so dramatic; it's like a whole hollowed-out church, and it's just Cove Hive is just a hamlet of two or three houses, and then this big ruined church. I love all that stuff. Yeah, you, you give me a lot of uh, places to put on my to-visit list. <laughs> well, Norfolk's full of them, and I, you know, uh, and like you said, you know, the Norfolk nowheres. There's 200 or so around 200 deserted settlements in Norfolk, and I just find that like crazy that that's the case. What causes it? And you know, Norfolk's. Uh, I mean, the main point of the book is this area is more interesting than you think it is, really, isn't it? It's, that's, I guess, that's the underlying thing. Of, like, and yeah, it really is. Yeah, I, I remember when I was a kid, I thought that uh, East Anglia was the most boring place in the world. The older I get, the more I appreciate it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I couldn't wait to move out of the Fens. I, I left the Fens when I was whatever I was, 18, 19, I guess. Um, yeah, and I couldn't wait to get out because it was just like, I can't, um, you know, I need to go out and see a bit of, the, I only moved to Norwich, but even just, you know, I need to go and see a bit more life than is in Parson Grove and Wisbeach, basically. Um, but now, exactly as you say, as you get older, you just kind of like, I was like really respect like the sort of I don't know what the right word is. It's not outwardly rebellious spirit of the people, but kind of just like leave us alone. Like we'll do what we do and just leave us alone. Like I like that kind of independent-minded um, way of life. And like my mate Ben that I mentioned earlier, he he just basically moved out of the big house that him and his folks lived in into them. He converted the barn in the back of their garden, and he still he still lives there. So we still go back to that house that we you know. It's just like I respect him for that. He's just like I like it here. I like want to do my own thing. And I think that's very common among the the fen folk, so to speak. It's you just crack on, do whatever you want to do. We're going to do whatever we want to do. Sometimes that's positive. Sometimes it's a bit rare and weird, but it's just like that's the way it is. It's like, <laughs> Yeah, it's just, uh, I like it. Yeah, the fan folk are a special bunch. Yeah, for sure. And the and the landscape as well, right? The sky yeah. and stuff like that. The skies of the are amazing. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, without a doubt. All right, I think that's all, um, all the questions I had for you, really. Cool, man. Is there anything else you wanted to bring up at all? Where, where can people find you? Where can people buy your books? People can buy my books um, on Etsy is the main place to buy my books at the minute. So I call myself Fembeast Design because I do a variety of other stuff. I make music videos and do other bits of Bob. So kind of I just have Fembeast Industries, I guess. Yeah. My <laughs> uh, thing. And then I just, if it's a book, I call it publications. If it's something else, I call it something else. But it's Fembeast Design on Etsy is my shop. And that's the main place to get it now. It, um, I haven't restocked because I need to get a reprint done. I'm going to get one last reprint done, and then it'll be in Gerald's in Norwich and the Book Hive. 
Um, but I am, if any of your Cambridge area um, listeners are up for stocking it, they're up for stocking it in places, we can work something out. Um, but they're the two main places. In terms of uh, anywhere else, I don't have a website, which I keep thinking I should do a website because I'm actually a digital designer um, for my job. But just social, so I'm on Twitter at Chris Spolton and Instagram at Spolton. They're kind of the two places. I used to keep things separately for a while and have different things. And I just, I just, I think people now just, it's more work than it's worth because people just engage with the stuff they're interested in and don't if they don't. So if you just post something that someone's not bothered about, they'll scroll by. And if it is something they're bothered about, they'll, they'll have a look. So everything's under those those things. Um, but no, it's, I mean, it, like it's cool like it's i like i just find it pretty mad anyway how people read something that i wrote and think it's good if you know what i mean i don't consider myself a writer by any stretch of the imagination at all it was it was so it's like cool when opportunities like this come up really and or people say nice things and you know get good reviews it's nice because i didn't expect it so oh it's, it's a good book man i really enjoyed it i think it's a it's it's important that this sort of cultural legacy is made accessible and i think your book does a really good job of that yeah that that was what i was hoping for there's a really amazing book called this hollow land i don't know if you've read this hollow land by peter tolhurst or something like that um can't remember the name and i really like in terms of like that he covers all sorts of things like the stones and and some of the stories and things like that and you know it Mm -hmm. is what i would class as a proper folklore book but it can be I shouldn't, I don't know whether you say this, but sometimes I don't think it's as accessible as what things could be or engaging at first glance as what it could sure. be. Um, and that's where I guess I was coming from with my kind of graphic y, uh, comic y style drawings and things like that. It's like I'd mm. like people to, people get to, the traditional view of a folklore person is maybe a bit of a fusty person or whatever. And it's like, it doesn't have to be like that. It's, there's cool stuff and it can be explained in a cool way. And I guess that's where I was trying to come from with it. Um, so that book's amazing and every folklore book's amazing i love the stories in folklore books but they all kind of have the stock photos of here's an etching on a church wall or so which is interesting but they all look like old books if you know what i mean it was yeah can i make it um and i think it stands out on the shop shelves as well when you go into the local book section there's all these different local books it's like it looks like something different and hopefully if you pick it up it looks designed and things like that that's what yeah no it's it's visually a very appealing book because uh, uh, local books usually they tend to be like baby blue and have a photograph on the cover <laughs> yeah, yeah, right? yeah, yeah. Like they, they, they all kind of look the same or like a watercolor painting of a river and a boat and then like a horrible horror like a horrible drop shadow weird glossy font thing that doesn't look quite right that's it they, they always yeah, yeah. <laughs> so hopefully it, like yeah it looks it looks designed it's not you know it's got a theme and it looks pretty cool it feels really nice i should give a shout out to the guy who printed it um he's a guy called rich hardiman at comic print in uk and like what i wanted to do is especially with the eel man my drawing style is what my drawing style is um it's quite simple and cartoony like the viz or beano or something i guess but i wanted it to feel like a kind of prestige thing and i think I mean, apparitions, it's printed on the same stock and the cover and things like that as apparitions. I think it feels nice to to um, uh, pick up and read, like nice covers and stuff. So it's sort of like, even if my drawing isn't professional, that's not necessarily um, a reason not to make a professional kind of book. Thank you for listening to Terrify Me with Anthony Frost. 
The theme music is by Jason Shaw on audionautics.com and used under Creative Commons Attribution 4.0 International License. Follow the podcast on Twitter and Instagram at TerrifyMePod, all one word. For more from me, visit AnthonyFrost.com or follow me on Twitter at AnthonyRFrost. That's Anthony without an H. See you next time.